Hi, I'm Julia Johnson. This is our daughter, Michaela Johnson, and my husband, Mikisa Johnson. Peace, I would say, um, has showed up in our family um, in multiple ways. We are a blended family, so it takes a lot of work to be at peace. We have to lean on our beliefs, our faith, um, and for us, that's the Word of God and Jesus Christ. When we have the good days, I mean, they're wonderful, right? You know, Christmas is wonderful, but the bad days are uh, can be bad days. And so there are times where um, peace may not be, may not look like what we think it may look like. There are times where uh, peace has to be worked up. It has to, we have to put our hands to the plow. We did not want to uh, attend a church in the Carver County community, uh, mostly because um, we are minorities. And I felt the call of God to say, if you want to be closer to me, you have to serve your, your, man, your fellow mankind, your peer. And I struggled in that area and I fought. And the one message, the reason why I brought that up is because when you listen to the voice of God, there is a certain amount of peace that goes along with it, even against your own um, desires or opinions. But coming to Westwood, I would say, uh, healed me. I would say, um, provided my family some peace. It got us back closer with the Father. As we anticipate the birth of Jesus, we celebrate the birth of peace. Today we're going to be reading from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 through 6. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're the Johnson family, and we celebrate peace. Will you join me in thanking the Johnson family? It's an amazing story, and we hope and pray that the peace of Jesus will just greet you wherever it is that you might be coming from today. Well, welcome to everyone here, those joining us at our online campus, West Tonka and Bush Lake. It's so good to be together. My name is Zach, and I have the joy of serving as one of the pastors here at Westwood. And we are in the fourth week of our Advent series. The series has been titled, Unexpected Stories, Everyday People. It's a reality that Jesus meets us in these unexpected moments in our everyday lives. A lot of times we receive unexpected news when we least expect it. And as I was preparing for this, I was reminded of a couple instances in my own life. As many of you might know, I had the joy of playing hockey growing up. And when I was about 14, I got an invitation, a really cool invitation, to go and try out for the AAU Team USA to represent them. And so I showed up to tryouts that weekend, and uh, I felt like I had a, a, pretty good, a pretty good tryout. But, you know, there's always that kind of doubt that creeps in. And so in between that last tryout and the announcement of the team, I was sitting there kind of packing my bag, just thinking to myself, did I play well enough? Uh, did the coaches get to see me? Did they get to know my personality enough? Like, will I be able to make the team? 
And after a few moments, I looked up to a teammate of mine who was also there trying out with me. He was running down the hallway, motioning to me like this. And I, as he got closer, I heard him shout out and say to me, you and me, man, you and me. And what he was getting at is that he and I had made the team together. It was an unexpected positive news. And you can see here, I mean, this is a little bit of a grainy photo, but that's me representing USA with a little bit of hockey. Yeah, USA. No. Um, <laughs> We couldn't beat the pesky Canadians, all right? I mean, oh, you know, they're so kind, right? But yeah, so I got to represent USA, unexpected but yet positive news. And it was just a blast. It was a really great honor for me. But you contrast that with another time in my career, about seven years later. I was going through the off season and I was prepping and getting ready for the upcoming year when all of a sudden I got a call from the coach. And he said these words to me. Hey, Zach, just want to let you know, we're going to go in a different direction. Euphemism meaning you're not coming back to the team, all right? Unexpected news in a negative sense. And it was one of those things that kind of threw me into a tailspin where I'm like, what do I do in this time? And I think that if we were all to kind of take an honest assessment of our lives, we would all agree, yeah, sometimes we get unexpected news in a positive sense, and some of us get unexpected news in a really hard and difficult sense. Uh, let me give some illustrations. Let me speak hypothetically, if you will, not too specific, but suppose hypothetically, you decided recently to, I don't know, watch a sporting event. <laughs> and you walk into the game and you're kind of thinking, hey, you know, maybe my expectations are set pretty high. Maybe it's gonna be a really good game. And then you watch the first half, unexpected negative news. Just hypothetically speaking, of course. So what do you do with that unexpected news? What you see with your eyes? You turn the game off, you leave, you go shopping, you snowplow your driveway. I don't know. Hey, I decided to watch the game, just saying. And then all of a sudden you're off shopping, doing something, and then all of a sudden you get the ding on your text message. Can you believe that game? Fourth quarter, NFC North Division champs, woo! For those of you who don't know, the Vikings came back from behind the greatest comeback in NFL history. In fact, we're just gonna watch highlights of the game the rest of this morning. Because I think I just lost my voice doing that, okay? Unexpected negative news and praise the Lord, unexpected positive news, okay? But maybe a little bit more specifically, if you will. Okay, let's just take your, uh, your job, for example. Maybe you're sitting there working in your job and all of a sudden you get a call into your boss's office and they say, hey, we wanna give you a promotion. Whoa positive, unexpected news. Or maybe you've been working at your job and you're maybe kind of, hey, I've been here for a while and that promotion gets passed along to somebody else. Unexpected, difficult news. Or, or maybe even a little bit more specific. Maybe for some of us, we feel like, man, physically I feel healthy, I feel good, I feel solid. But then we go to the doctor and we get that unexpected news, that medical diagnosis that we weren't expecting. We will all, friends, we will all experience unexpected news. Yes, in a positive sense, but yes, also in a difficult sense in our lives. And, and so that's what I want us to look at today. I want us to answer this one question. And that one question is this. What do we do when we receive unexpected news? Okay, what do we do when the unexpected news, be it positive, be it difficult, uh, what do we do when this unexpected news rises up in our lives? How do we respond? How do we proceed? How do we navigate that time, that moment, and that season? We're going to be continuing along in the Advent story. We're going to pick up in Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can pull it out. I'm going to read it for you as well. But Luke chapter 2, verse 25, it talks about the story of Simeon and Mary and Joseph as they are bringing Jesus into the temple for essentially a dedication that was done according to the law at that time. 
And Simeon experiences an unexpected moment, and Mary experiences an unexpected moment, and we can learn so much from them. But I just invite you now, hear these words from Luke chapter 2, verses 25 and following. It says this, Now there is a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Simeon, moved by the Spirit, went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God and he said these words, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation of the Gentiles and the glory for your people, Israel. Now the child's father and mother, they marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child Jesus is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken out against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And so you can see it there, some unexpected news that both Simeon and Mary received. And so let's start with Simeon. Okay, the the gospel writer Luke begins by saying Simeon was a righteous and a devout man. Righteous meaning that he he was holy, that he had this this godly standard that he set for his life, that he had this high standard. And the reason why he had this high standard is because he was devout. He was devoted to God. He had a a fear and a reverence to God. He he feared God because he awe and reverence towards him. And whenever he did that, he was always in this posturing of listening to God. It said that the Holy Spirit had prompted him to go into the temple. And it said that he waited there in the temple. Now, we don't know how long Simeon waited, but we're guessing it could have been for many, many years. All right. And he says, uh, now that I have seen your Messiah, your Savior, your, your servant can now depart in peace. He's ultimately learning from God that God says, you will not die until you see the promised one. For Simeon was sitting there in the temple, and it says, Luke says, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, what is the consolation of Israel? Okay, little brief history lesson, Cliff Notes version here, hang with me. Uh, basically, when we look at the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was God's chosen people. He, he chose them and he said, I'm gonna bless you and as I bless you, I want you to bless the nations all around you. And so when the Israelites were obedient to God, they did just that, but the reality is they were seldom obedient. In fact, they were more frequently disobedient to God. And when they were disobedient to God, they stepped out of God's protection and God's provision in their life. And when that happened, no longer were they blessing the nations around them, but now the nations around them actually rose up and destroyed them. And there was a world power at the time called the Babylonians. They came in and they wiped out Israel and they took the Jews away from their homeland, the promised people taken out of the promised land into Babylonian captivity, Babylonian exile, until another world power rose up and allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem. And as they did that, they they tried to rebuild uh, their holy city, but the reality is they couldn't build it back to the prestigious way that they had before. And since they were vulnerable, guess what happened? Another world power called the Roman Empire came in and began to rule over the known world at that time. And so the Israelites are living in this tension of, of being an autonomous, independent country while living under the Roman rule and reign at that time. But as they lived in that tension, they waited for hundreds of years for their consolation. They were waiting for somebody to show up to free them from the Roman rule of that day. 
They were waiting for a Messiah, the anointed one, to come. But as you can guess, Jesus shows up in an unexpected way. They were expecting some type of political savior, a conquering king, but instead of a conquering king, they get a crucified servant. They get a baby born in a manger. And what I love about that is Simeon responds in this unexpected way to this unexpected news in in a positive way. He he really affirms and he calls Jesus' blessing. Look at what he says here. It says in verse 29, he says, Sovereign Lord, Simeon's saying, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, meaning uh, my time is here. I've seen it with my own eyes. Now I can die in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of of all the nations. And then he goes on, he says, well, what is the calling? What is the purpose? What is the blessing, the prophecy of this one? It's this, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon is saying, here's what I'm beginning to see. Uh, This this Messiah, this savior, what he is going to do. And as you can see here, there are really two types of people. There are Gentiles and there are the Israelites. Now let's dig into this a little bit. Who are the Gentiles? The Gentiles are non-Jews. And when you think about it, when you look throughout the the biblical narrative, the Gentiles were people who did not have proximity to God because they were outside the covenantal blessing of being God's chosen people. So they were distant and they were were far away from God. But what we can see here is that Jesus, this, this Messiah, he is going to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. What is it that light does? Think about it. Light guides and directs. Like a lighthouse Uh, trying to direct a ship from uh, running up on shore, or maybe you're flying and you're landing late at night and you've got lights on the runway. Lights guide you and direct you to safety. And so Jesus is coming, he's saying he's gonna be a light to the Gentiles, calling people, directing, guiding people back into relationship with God. And then he goes on, he says, and the glory for your people, Israel. Well, who are the Israelites? Whereas the Gentiles were far from God, the Israelites had proximity to God. Uh, however, what we knew at that time, because they were waiting on the consolation, they were probably sitting there and they're like, man, we are worn out. We're fatigued. Like, God, when are you going to show up? And, and whenever it says that they were going to be the glory of Israel, what we can understand is that he was going to come and encourage and, and restore Israel in some way, shape, or form. And so this is important for us. Don't blow past this, because in this Christmas season, I'm sure that there are many of us, if, if I was to just take a poll, you would say, yeah, I, I feel distant. I feel disconnected. I feel far away from God. And the reality is that Jesus steps in as, as the light. He's saying, hey, I, I'm here to guide you back. There's no shame. There's no guilt. But, but lean into this grace and, and come back to God. And for others of you, you're like, yeah, I feel close to God. Man, I, I love him. But man, sometimes I just feel worn out. I feel exhausted. I'm burnt out. The reality is that Jesus is here to encourage us, to, to lift up our arms, to, to raise up our eyes to his countenance so that we might be encouraged in this time. And that's really what we begin to see about Jesus, that Simeon is speaking this calling over him. Now, it's essentially a child dedication that we see at the temple. And when we have the opportunity to do dedications, it's it's honestly one of my favorite parts of my job is to do a child dedication. But whenever we have the chance to do that, we we bring these little ones and and we dedicate them. We, We call blessing and calling upon them because we know that God can do amazing things through little ones, through, through kiddos. And so a lot of times we pray that, that young ones, that little kids will, will come to know and to grow and to show God's love to the world all around them. We're praying, calling upon them. And what we see here is that Simeon is doing that as well. He's speaking calling over Jesus. But the truth of the matter is, he's giving a calling that's also accompanied with a cost. Because any good calling comes with a price. In fact, one of the big ideas that we can pull from this passage is this. 
Every great call comes with a great cost. In fact, let's all say that together. Say that with me at at all of our locations. Every great call comes with a great cost. You think about it, you know, God's prompting me to something. God's calling me to something. Uh, It's going to cost you. You realize that, right? Uh, It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you finances. It's going to cost you resources. It's going to cost you willpower. But whenever we even look at Jesus, he says that there is a cost to following me. He says the cost of following uh, Jesus, the cost of discipleship, he says, uh, you must take up your cross, meaning you must die to self and follow me daily. It's not a one and done sort of thing. He's saying daily, you've got to die to self. There is a cost that accompanies our call. And so we continue along. We we really begin to unpack uh, some of these costs that Simeon is laying out upon Jesus and our lives as well. And so one of the costs that we see is, first of all, the call unites and it divides. Okay, the call unites and it divides. When we unite to something, we ultimately divide from something else. Look at what Simeon says. He says this, this child Jesus is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. Okay, and so when we look at Jesus, when we come to him, what we must realize is that there is a fork in the road moment. We've got to ask the question, what will we do with Jesus? And this happened all throughout the gospel accounts as well. Jesus is often depicted as the cornerstone, but he's also depicted as the stumbling block. You see, for a lot of people, whenever they come across a stumbling block, what happens when you stumble? Yeah, you're right, you you fall. Okay, and so what we ultimately see is that when we come to this fork in this road, whenever we come to this moment, we have to say, I'm either going to unite with Jesus, I'm going to accept him and rise, or I'm going to divide against him, deny him and fall. And I think that this is so key because whenever we unite around Jesus and his calling, uh, our, our calling is, is for hope, it's for peace, it's for uh, blessing and prosperity for those all around us. It's, it's to build life. The opposite though, whenever we unite around that is we divide against the opposite, the, the, the other kingdom of darkness. We know that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of the dark and unseen world. That kingdom, those structures, they're here to destroy life. In fact, it says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Do you see the differences there? Whenever we unite around Jesus, we're saying, man, I'm here to bring peace and hope and blessing. And so that's why for us here at Westwood, man, we we are going to unite. We are going to rally around Jesus and his call. In a world that is so divided, we're going to say, here we stand. We're going to stand on Christ and his calling for us and our lives. That's the first calling, but we we see another calling that Simeon talks about. It says the call reveals intentions. Okay, whenever you say yes to a calling, whenever Jesus is stepping into this, what we understand is that intentions and integrity are going to be revealed. Simeon continued along. He said, the child will be a sign that will be spoken against. Okay, most new moms, you probably don't want to hear, hey, your son is going to be spoken against. Some of y'all are like, I am not having Zach do my next child dedication. Okay, but your son will be a sign that will be spoken against. Here it is, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Okay, when we look at Jesus throughout the gospel accounts, we see that he constantly butted heads with the religious leaders. And the reason for that is because he knew their hearts. He knew their thoughts, uh, that they despised and that they hated him. They were jealous and envious of him. And in fact, Jesus steps in and he convicts them a lot. He, he oftentimes equates them, you ready for it? To unclean tombs, to unclean pots and pans. You're like, ooh, is that really a burn? Okay, here's what it is, okay? Whenever he says that you're like unclean tombs, he's basically saying on the outside, religious leaders, you're clean, but on the inside, you are dirty, dying, and decaying. Yeah, it's a burn, okay? And so what we ultimately can understand is that Jesus is saying, though you look clean on the outside, on the inside, you're really unclean. And so if you're unclean on the inside, does that make you clean? 
Absolutely not. Jesus is calling out the hearts and the thoughts of many. And so for you and for me, it's an invitation. You see, because the things that are done in dark and done in secrecy will lead to death. But the things that are done in light will lead to life. And so friends, I just invite you, wherever you're at, if there are things that you are doing in darkness, if you're doing things in secrecy, I invite you, lay that brokenness, lay those things at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, won't you reveal and heal my heart? Won't you reveal my integrity gap? And won't you heal those places where there is a monumental gap in my life? The call unites and divides. The call reveals intentions, but then perhaps the greatest, most unexpected cost that we see Simeon speaking on Mary is this. He says, the call pierces our souls. Think about it. Mary is a newborn, a new mother to a newborn. And Simeon looks into her face and he says these words, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Here's Mary walking in with her newborn, eight days old. And Simeon is saying, man, he's going to cause the rising and the falling. He's going to reveal the hearts of many. And then he says, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. That word too also is important because we can't blow past this. Okay, at eight days old, Simeon is saying, your son is going to be crucified. Your son is going to die. As a sword pierces him, guess what, Mary? You're not exempt from this. You too will have a soul piercing or a sword piercing your soul as well. I mean, hard, unexpected news. And so we begin to step into that story a little bit more, and, and we see Simeon and Mary responding to this unexpected news. Simeon may be unexpected in a positive light, Mary responding in an unexpected, difficult way. But I think that what we can learn about both of them is something that we can apply to our lives. So that brings us back to our question that we posed right there at the very beginning. What do we do when we receive unexpected news? Here's what it looks like. Hold Jesus closely. What do we do when we receive when we face unexpected news. Hold Jesus closely. I mean, you think about Simeon. Here is Jesus. He's walking in and Simeon being a righteous and a devout man, he knew the promises of God. And, and because God was faithful to keep his promises, he says, God, I'm going to be faithful to, I'm going to sit here in this temple. I'm going to wait for decades. I'm going to wait for a large part of my life. And then all of a sudden he sees Jesus coming in. And what does he do? He, he walks up kind of a stranger and he takes uh, baby Jesus in his arms and does a child dedication right there. He holds Jesus closely. And then what do you think Mary does? I mean, sure, as, as a newborn mom, I mean, she is holding Jesus closely. In fact, when we look at Jesus' story, we can infer that Mary was nearby throughout. I mean, here she brings him into the temple, but what about in the days to come? When the decree goes out that Herod wants to murder all children two years old and younger. Mary and Joseph, they scoop up Jesus closely and they make a run for Egypt. But what about even towards the end of his life? If you don't know the story, here's the thing. Jesus dies. Yes, he's crucified, all right? But Jesus was there, and so was Mary. And, and as he had his arms stretched wide with railroad spikes driven through his wrists and his feet, he looks down upon Mary, and he says, Mary, this is your son, John, and John, this is your mother, Mary. Mary was nearby, and as Mary held her son, Dare we say, she wasn't just holding her son, she was holding the Savior of the world. The one who came to be a light to the Gentiles and glory for his people, Israel. And so that's our invitation, man, hold Jesus closely. 
But it got me thinking, okay, for us, why don't we hold Jesus closely? What are the barriers for us? I mean, I, I think there are a variety of things, but I think for some of us, if we're just honest with ourselves, the reason why I don't hold Jesus closely, maybe we just think in our minds, man, Jesus isn't enough. Maybe for some, we, we kind of think in our minds, like, in this life, I want Jesus plus something. We want Jesus plus fill in the blank. Okay, and until then, we're not going to be satisfied. Or, or maybe for some, we feel like, man, is Jesus really strong enough? Is Jesus really powerful enough uh, to help sustain and give me strength? And so then we strive and we work out of our own accord. And whenever we have that, whenever we say Jesus isn't, isn't enough, what we're actually doing is we're saying, man, Jesus, you're just kind of on the peripheral of my life. Jesus isn't really central and foundational to our lives. Or maybe for others of us, we, we kind of feel like, man, I, we resonate with the Israelites. And we're like, man, I am waiting. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm fatigued. Why don't I hold Jesus closely? Because I'm tired of all of this unexpected news that I continue to receive. But the beautiful part about Jesus is the name that we say, Emmanuel, which is God with us. Advent, he is coming to us bringing his perfect peace and his perfect provision for you and for me. And when we start to hold Jesus close, there's actually a mind shift that happens. We could ultimately say this. When we hold Jesus close, we realize that our strength is not based on our feeble hold of Jesus, but on his firm grip on us. You see that, friends? When we hold Jesus close, we begin to realize, we begin to understand that it's not based on our feeble hold on him, but on his firm grip on us. And that can give us peace, that can give us provision for whatever it is that we are navigating and whatever it is that we might face in life. So hear that truth. Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus comes to hold peace in your life. As we learn in the Advent story, he is with us in all things. And so I invite you, hold Jesus closely. Now, I want to give you an invitation. What does that actually look like? Okay, hold Jesus closely. How do I do that? I want to give you a little invitation that you can apply to each and every day. Just kind of daily rhythms, daily habits that, if you will, it's kind of like uh, tilling the soil and preparing the seed to grow. God is the one who grows, but we're preparing our hearts in that. So what does that look like to hold Jesus closely? It's a little thing I call one, one, one. Like, ooh, there's a lot of numbers on there. What does this mean? Uh, One, one, one. This is something that you can do each and every day. And here's what it looks like. It, It looks like this. One minute in silence, one minute in prayer, one chapter in the Bible. Okay, one minute in silence, one minute in prayer, one chapter in the Bible. As you can see, these are things that you can do each and every day because I would assert to you that in the coming days, weeks, months, and yes, even years, we will at some time face something difficult or something unexpected and we will have to respond in such a way of just saying like, I'm gonna hold Jesus closely, so here's how I'm gonna do it. Here's what this might look like. And so let's drill into these really quickly. Okay, so one minute in silence. Some of y'all are sitting there and you're like, man, Zach has lost his mind. You want me to spend one minute in silence? He is off his rocker, okay? When we think about one minute in silence, let me give you a couple things. First of all, these three things, these are things that I've started to do in my own life. So I'm not just saying, hey, do this. I don't do this myself. These are things that I've started to apply into my own life. And I've seen the difference that it has made in, in my own journey. But one minute in silence, take a phone, take a timer on your, in your kitchen, set it for one minute, and then sit in silence. Lord have mercy. All right, but grab a journal because if I know your mind, if your mind's like my mind, like we're gonna be thinking about stuff. So that's where you put your grocery list. That's where you write down your to-do list for the day. But the reality is, is many verses come to mind. Be still and know that I am God. You see, when we are sitting in silence, what this is ultimately doing, this is a protest in the face of busyness. And we are a busy people, are we not? It's hard to hear from God whenever we are busy and when we are rushed and when we are hurried. So spend one minute in silence. And then from there, you move into the next one. Spend one minute in prayer. 
And this is your chance to just speak and lay everything before God. And you're just saying like, God, I just received unexpected news. I'm a little frazzled. It's difficult. I don't know what to do with this, but God, I lay it at your feet because I know that you are with me. Or God, I just received unexpected news in a positive sense. And, and frankly, God, I don't know what to do with this either. But God, you are the giver of all good things. And so help me to glorify you and help me to honor you in this time. One minute in silence, one minute in prayer. And then finally, third, one chapter in the Bible. This could take two, three minutes, but read God's word. Allow his word to, to wash over you, to encourage you. And if you're like, I don't know where to start, start with Luke. Okay, read a chapter in Luke each day. Read the Advent story and, and watch your life be changed and transformed by God's spirit and by scripture in our lives. And as you can see, this could take five, six, seven minutes each day. But now some of you might be sitting there like, well, Zach, this looks really easy. In fact, I do some of these things now. What do I do beyond it? This is your chance that you can begin to level up your discipleship to be and love like Jesus. Now all of a sudden you could say, well, instead of one minute, I'm going to spend two minutes in silence. I'm going to read two chapters in the Bible. You can continue to add to this as you become more and more aware of God's presence in your life. And as he grows us to live into our calling, even whenever we expect and receive unexpected news. And so I just encourage you, friends, let's hold Jesus closely. But what would it look like if it wasn't just one of us that was doing this? What if we collectively as a whole lived into this? What would that do for this world that we live in? Uh, imagine if we were all people who said, yes, I'm going to hold Jesus closely each day. I'm going to abide. And I'm going to dwell with him. When that harsh, unexpected news hits for us, uh, we're sitting there. We're like, God, I, I don't know what's going on. I, I don't know how to respond. I don't know what's going on, but, but I know that you are here and I know that you are with me because your word says so. And I allow the thoughts of my mind to interpret what's going on all around me. And that allows us to then step in and be a light to those all around us because we are so closely tethered to the light that his light shines in and through us that so much so those who are facing hardships and difficulties themselves will see the light of Christ. Well, what about whenever we receive that unexpected news that is more of a positive light? Well, then we're able to receive it with gratitude and a heart of thankfulness. And we're just saying like, God, you give all good things to me and I just want to honor you and I want to worship you and I want to glorify you. And in that time of unexpected news, his name is magnified and his name is glorified. And so friends, may we be people who do just that. May we be people who live into the calling that Jesus has given us. Uh, may whenever the unexpected news comes, that we say, I will hold Jesus closely for his glory, for my good. And so friends, may we be those types of people. Well, friends, as we want to conclude our time together, we want to give you a really practical way of holding Jesus closely. And we thought, what better way than to conclude our time in prayer and praise? And so we want to just sing the words of that song, here I am to worship, here I am to bow down and say that you are my God, here I am to hold you closely. And so friends, I just want to invite you, all of us here and those at our campuses, let's stand and unite our hearts in prayer and praise in this time that we have left together. Join me. God, we thank you so much that you are with us, that you sent your son, Jesus, that he came and he lived a perfect life. And we see his calling here that he is a light to the Gentiles, those who are far from God. And even now here in this time and this morning, I realize that there are some people who might feel distant, that might feel separated from God. And I pray that they will know the grace, know the love of Jesus in their life, that he is the light guiding us back, guiding us back to relationship with God. And Lord, there are some here who are exhausted and that are fatigued and that are worn out. I just pray, Lord, that you will help us to lift our eyes to you, that you will encourage our hearts, encourage our spirits. God, in this time, in this season, may we look to you. May we be so closely tethered to the light of the world that your light shines through each and every one of us as we hold Jesus closely. 
And so, God, we just ask that you will be honored, that you'll be praised in this time. We give it all to you. We pray all this in the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. And all God's people said, amen.